Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Problem with Authority podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Kelly, and today we will be talking about the problem with therapy. So people all the time, especially on my Instagram, because I follow a lot of therapists, a lot of social workers, you know, we're talking about the benefits of therapy and and everything that therapy can do for you and how great it is. But there are some downsides to therapy that we will get into. This isn't controversial, but I think these things need to be talked about because I recently had a really bad therapy experience with a therapist. So we're going to go ahead and dive into it. So my first point I have here is that therapy is not accessible. I'm sure a lot of you who have sought out therapy or who are in the field know this. And it's really frustrating because we're in this time, everybody's like, mental health, oh my god, therapy, mental health. But like, where are you going to find a therapist Um, is is the question. And those sites, uh, BetterHelp, uh, what's the other one? Oh my gosh, yes, I will at them. I can't remember the other one. But those are... Uh, not great sites to find therapists. I am in a lot of Facebook groups and uh, therapists in there say how they don't manage your caseload well, they don't uh, treat clients well, they don't treat their employers well, and it's honestly just like a scam, trendy thing that celebrities can promote because mental health and all and everything right now is trendy. So it's, it's really just a way to capitalize and get money off of like the quote unquote like mental health trend, if that makes sense. So stay away from those, better help, all of those, just I wouldn't, wouldn't even go near them. And that really hurts our profession, right? So we have these people that are trying to turn therapy into something that it shouldn't be already treating us worse and continuing that pattern of treating therapists worse than I think we already do get treated in a lot of spaces. So that's not helpful. Let's not support, let's not support things like that. Um, Yeah, moving on. Another thing that's unaccessible are different types of therapy that you can work in. So for example, like EDMR, Um, Like different models and things that therapists work in, that's not accessible. So like EDMR, if you're working with a therapist that does EDMR, it's naturally going to be more expensive than working with a therapist that like just does like talk therapy, Uh, which is frustrating because I've heard some really great things about EDMR. Um, I'm looking into trying it for myself, like me doing the EDMR and then also getting trained in it. Uh, but that that's not accessible to everybody. And another thing that's not accessible is diverse therapists. Therapists of different races, of different backgrounds, of uh, different different anything. Uh, that is really hard. Genders. There's a lot a a lot of female therapists. I think uh, there are some non-binary trans uh, therapists out there, but not as many as we need. And there's definitely not that many men, uh, which would be really helpful. So the next thing is, is that it's not affordable. Um, and this, this goes into, this plays into a lot of things. So 
therapy that that is affordable so say like uh you have medicaid or something like that and maybe like the therapy is free as the therapist a lot of time working in realm, in places like that like community mental health and different places like that is not sustainable because of the work environment that they put you through so therapists good therapists typically leave mental health because community mental health doesn't value them so that takes away from like quality therapists giving affordable therapy if any of that made sense so it's really an issue of the profession and how we treat ourselves and how we treat each other and the way that people don't really value us at all and they just expect us to have really high caseloads and work for free and uh, don't take into consideration all that we do with our degrees and our backgrounds, the documentation, the notes, uh, all things like that. So I could say that's why therapy isn't affordable. So say if you're working with like a therapist in a private practice who takes more like commercial insurance, um, a lot of therapists, if they do take insurance, we have to fight with insurance companies a lot of the time because they don't want to pay us. So like you, some therapists will negotiate with them to give them um, a higher payout. So, or they could also negotiate with them to get, you know, the client's co-pay lower, but that sometimes is like less money for us. So then there's therapists who don't take insurance at all because that's, it's just like a headache. And then they'll do like a sliding scale or just cash and stuff. And then the reason why their prices are so high, it's because honestly, that's what we're valued at. But it's kind of ridiculous that we have to be put in a position to only work with clients who can afford those prices and quote those fees in a private setting compared to being able to do that with an agency. Or even just because even in school social work, like I do counseling with the kids, like I work with kids, I'm on their IEPs and I do IEP counseling. And legally, like if I'm on an IEP, I have to meet with that kid weekly, but I don't get compensated extra for that. And I don't believe my salary is where it should be for all that I do. So it leads to burnout for therapists which if we're not okay or if we're not doing good, then our clients are definitely not getting the best versions of ourselves because it is not sustainable for a therapist to have a caseload, I think, above 25 or 30. It's not. Like that therapist is not okay and they're burnt out. So if you have a therapist who has that high of a caseload, I'd maybe like rethink that because that's they're, they're not okay. They're not okay at all. And it's not, it's not fair to them. Uh, so the next point is that there's not many great therapists. <laughs> so uh, the more I get into the in this profession, the more scared I get uh, because I have just met some therapists that, wow, uh, they have no idea what they're doing. Or like, here's the thing, you could have no idea what you're doing and not do harm. But the issue is, is that they're, they have no idea what they're doing and doing harm. Like they don't even know what not to do. So then it's becoming this issue. 
And recently, I had a terrible therapy experience. So I signed up for therapy uh, to do uh, telehealth because I wanted, you know, to start on this journey for myself, um, you know, just to see, you know, heal myself and then also put myself in the position of, you know, where my clients are at, talking, you know, practicing what I preach. And this therapist, this man gets on the screen. Number one, I had already filled out an intake form prior to meeting with this person um, through telehealth. And that's a that's something that I would tell you guys. Like, there's no reason that if you already filled out an intake form for you to be doing more paper, like a lot, like a paperwork the entire session for your first session. Like there's no, there's no reason for that. There should be one time that you're having to answer all these questions about your history. So I took the 15 minutes and I filled out all these different forms. Like they had me doing like personal history. They had me taking assessments of like PTSD and anxiety. It was insane. It was, it was a red flag from the beginning. And I, and I knew that, but part of me was just like a little curious to see how this was going to go down. And so I go into the session and this, you know, guy shows up and the title of our, our session meeting was like initial meeting or something like that. It didn't make it seem like this was going to be my therapist and this was going to be my first session. It, it made it sound that this guy was going to be like the intake person. And then he was going to connect me with the therapist that best meet you know, meets my needs. And some agencies do have that. So some agencies have a person um, that is hired specifically to meet with you, get your history, you know, write, check all the boxes, write all, all your information down, and then they'll connect you with somebody who you, who they think, you know, can work best with what you're struggling with. So that's kind of what I thought this was. And I thought that when we got on as well, because he was just literally looking at forms, like I could see it, looking at forms and just like going through questions, like drilling me with questions. And in, first of all, he was late. He was late to the, the session, which that was not okay for me. I was like, this is telehealth, like, come on. And then number two, uh, there was all these questions. And he he did I li- all the same questions that I already filled out in the form. Like you couldn't have just like read it and then let me like tell you why I'm here and like, you know, just like get to know me. No, it was grilling. It was, I was grilled. It was, it was terrible. And he, um, it was so bad. I wanted to cry in the middle of it, which is kind of insane because I told this guy that I was a therapist and a school social worker. So you think he'd be on his like best behavior? No, he was not. He definitely was not. Red flag number two, guys, if you have a, if you're even in, even if you're first, in your first session, if they are not letting you speak and didn't preface that this session was going to strictly be me filling out this paperwork, you need to leave. Because yes, in some agencies, especially community middle health, there's a lot of freaking paperwork because insurance is their assholes, right? So, but typically a therapist will preface and be like, I'm sorry, I have to do all this paperwork. We have to have it on file. And I know you're going to want to go into like the details of your life and everything, but we just have to get through this quickly. And then once that's done, we can get to the point where like you can freely talk and I don't interrupt you. Right. But that's not what this was. He was just like grilling me the entire time. And it was terrible. So he wasn't, he wouldn't let me like finish my sentences, wouldn't let me finish my stories, like nothing. And so I just like stopped talking and would just answer the questions like, yes, no, 
like maybe because I I was like, I don't understand. I, I was like, I don't understand like how many forms you're filling out right now that could honestly truly get like a clear view as to like why I'm here. And you're not going to learn everything about a person in like the first 45 minutes. Like if you are a client or a therapist, therapists know that the first like three or four sessions is really just like getting to know your client and establishing like the goals that they want to work on in therapy. There is no reason that you should feel that you need to get to know your client like that you've never met before within the first 45 minutes. Like, no, absolutely not. Uh, so yeah, so we're just like doing this. He's, he's asking me all these questions. I'm feeling super uncomfortable. Then he pulls out and I can't like see these forms, but I can see him like writing down. Like, that's another thing. He's not like looking at me. He's literally like, oh, I can see him on the screen, just like looking at his paper, like with his pen on the, um, on the desk in front of him. And he pulls out, cause I get into like some trauma. So he pulls out a PTSD assessment scale and he, he makes me answer all the questions, which is ridiculous, ridiculous to do in a first session and tells me that I scored low on like the PTSD um, scale. And I don't even remember what scale he used. I didn't care. Cause I was just so mad at this man. And so at, he gave me the results and he was like, Oh, you scored low. And I was like, okay. And he was like, yeah, but people typically soar low because like, they're not self-aware of their trauma and like how much they like disassociate from it. And I was like, okay, thanks. Like he was so rude. He told me, he told me that my anxiety, like I talked a lot about my anxiety. He told me my anxiety was because I had poor life management skills and I've had anxiety since I've been a little kid. So he like told me that it was like basically my fault. Uh, he told me that, uh, I was, I was codependent when I never even discussed anything relating to codependency. Um, and here's the thing. Another red flag, friends, if especially if you're meeting a therapist for the first time, they should not be telling you anything about yourself or your story. They should strictly be listening. I don't care if this person has five PhDs and has been a therapist for 100 years. You cannot fully assess somebody and decide in the first session that you're going to tell them, quote unquote, everything that's wrong with them. And you're not supposed to as a therapist, in my opinion. You're supposed to listen to people and work with them and they're supposed to realize things for themselves. But codependency was just not, that wasn't, no, that's not, had nowhere, that was nowhere near what we were talking about. I was just talking about my anxiety and my anxiousness and how I have, how I have trouble coping. So basically, basically, it sounded like this this person didn't believe that like mental health issues are things that happen with our brain. It, it sounded like he thinks that they're all controllable and it's it's your fault, like as a human, like you're just not doing what you need to do to figure it out, which I don't really believe that because I feel like somebody can have depression or anxiety and have it forever, but just learn how to live with it differently and live how to live with it in a more healthy way and cope with it. So that was just a red flag for me. I was like, you don't even know me. And like, you're telling me, you're telling me all of these things. 
Um, and it was really sad. I wanted to cry. He said more. He said more things that were just super negative, like towards me and about me, like like basically just blaming me and telling me that everything that's ever happened in my life was my fault. Uh, so that's uh, big red flags, guys. Don't do that. If you have a therapist uh, that says any of those things to you, run and leave. And everybody's gut feeling is probably 100%, you know, always right. And you know yourself, so you know if it's going to work. And, and that was another thing. I didn't want a male therapist. I wanted a female therapist. Um, and I thought in this session, like, because, I, again, I thought this was like an intake and then he was going to connect me to a therapist. I thought that I would be able to request that. And I just didn't have that option. So I didn't appreciate that at all. Um, so, yeah. And then after our session, he sends me like four or five documents on – codependency on um oh my gosh on like maladaptive uh life management skills and all of these all of these things that were honestly like pretty offensive and I was like wow like it's just so interesting to be on the other side of this and realize how much your words as a therapist can affect your clients like if I was not in a great mental state that would have put this session would have put me over the edge because I really was not okay afterwards because you divulge such personal information. And then this man is like trying to tear me apart and tear me down while I'm already vulnerable. That's not, that's not okay. And that's not healthy. And that can put you in a really, in a really messed up, in a really even more messed up state. So if you do experience a terrible therapist and you feel like shit afterwards, it is not your fault. That person is just should not be a therapist. Oh my gosh. And he sent me all these things and he was like, your homework is to read like all five of these documents and highlight um, which ones apply to you the most. I was like, sir, no. I just like not self-aware. I don't know. that. Mm, that's the last thing that I would describe myself as. And that was another thing. I was like, if I have such poor you know, life management skills. I don't, what, what, what does it say about me like coming here and like trying? Cause the only, the reason why I signed up is because I'm just trying to cope better with my anxiety because when I'm in high stress situations, it comes out more. And my job for like the first few months were really super stressful. And that's really what I was there for. I was not, I did not want to dive into my trauma. Does that make sense? So, and that is a right of you as a client. You do not have to disclose what you don't want to disclose. And if your therapist is poking in places that you don't feel comfortable going yet, you don't have to talk about it. And you can say that you're not ready for that. And I didn't. I just, I told him, but I felt uncomfortable telling him, but I said it because I was like, well, you know, you are a professional, which is kind of crazy because I'm a therapist. And I'm a professional and I'm just like, oh, well, you know, he's a professional, so he might know because he has more experience than me and he has a PhD. No, 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 no. Don't let that manipulative bullshit get in your head because I would not want to disclose some of the things that I talked to him about because and but he made it seem like that that's what I needed to do and that's what I was here for. So then he was like so proud of himself, like, so you're really here because like this, this and that. And I was like, well no, like I came here for this. And that is something that once I feel comfortable with you, we can maybe dive into later, but that's not what I'm ready for right now. 
And that is 100% okay. So, whew, man, this man, I let me see if I could like pull up, pull up the, the email that he sent me. It was just, oh, it was so gross. And I'm sure that so many of you have had terrible therapy experiences, which I think is why like people like this dude is why therapy gets such a bad rap because there's not good therapists. And then I was questioning myself. I was like, wait a second. Like I literally do this for a living and I have been, I have been in sessions where I've had like supervisors and therapists that have been therapists for years or a while who are really good therapists watch me do sessions and critique me and, you know, do all that. And they've never like, I've never gotten feedback. Like I'm giving feedback about this man, like so harmful, so rude, just so hurtful, like didn't use any strengths perspective, didn't use any, didn't use any, uh, just nothing no like bed no like bedside table manner no like there was just no respect like he like he literally wouldn't even let me talk the entire time was just asking me these questions wouldn't let me elaborate and then just decided to like psychoanalyze me and give me you know like a diagnosis or uh assessment you're this this and this because of this sir you're this this and this because this oh my god it was terrible it was so terrible I don't even think I can find it I probably deleted it for my mental health I probably did all right moving on I can't find it friends but that's okay I guess that's another tip if they send you negative things delete it so you don't get hurt. All right. Next is talking is not for everyone. And if you're a therapist, it's important to meet the client where they're at and to not force them to speak. And I stand by this 110%, 110% because talking is not for everyone, especially too when you are working with kids and a lot of the times they're involuntary coming to you. And that's a whole like that's a whole like controversial conversation in itself, therapy with kids and involuntary treatment and all that. We're not getting into that today. But if you have a parent who's bringing their child to you and they really didn't want to be there and they're not ready to talk, don't force them to talk. There's no need for it. There is literally no need for it. Ask them what they want to do. It is their session. It is their life. It is their mind. It is their body. Eventually, once you build rapport with your therapist, you can and you can do work. Like it doesn't have to be this like, therapy doesn't have to be this like groundbreaking, moving mountains type of like experience. Like it can be, but honestly, sometimes it's just basically sitting in a room with somebody who's just validating you as a human, who is just sitting there and respecting your boundaries. Because unfortunately as humans, we don't have that a lot in our lives. And the, and the fact that like you're, you can pay somebody to like see that and, and feel that and then model that behavior and then be like, and a lot of people like come to the realiza- realization themselves like, oh shit, like I don't have this in my life. And then like you dive into it, you know, once you get more comfortable. Uh, also too, 
some people just communicate differently. Some people communicate through art. Some people communicate through play. Some people are better at communicating when they're walking. Some people are better at communicating when they're not making eye contact with you. So just don't don't ever force your client to do anything, you know, that they don't want to do. And if and and as a client, if you are a client and that's happening, red flag, leave. That's not how it should be going down. You're paying. You're paying. So just remember that. Just remember that. Next is therapy is usually implemented as an intervention instead of prevention. This really irritates me to my core, especially working in the school system. Like people have this idea that like therapy fixes everything and it doesn't because we are not magicians and the work has nothing to do with us as professionals. The work is you as a client and what you want to put into it. So especially when working with kids, if the kid don't want to be there, then like, we're not going to do, we're not going to get that much done, you know? So it's not this miracle, magical thing. And then also using therapy after the fact is helpful, but it would be a lot more helpful if we were using it as like early interventions, not, I mean, did I say that wrong? Therapy is usually implemented as Yeah, intervention, not prevention. Sorry, I did. It's been a long day. (laughs) So yeah, I wish we were using therapy as like a a prevention effort for mental health getting to the point where we're having suicidal ideations, we're having hallucinations, and and we're the point where things can get turned into crisis. Uh, I wish that was something that we valued more because every like something happens and everybody just runs to me like, oh my god, like this happened, like you need to fix it, especially in school social work. And I'm like, well, that's not like how counseling works. Like counseling can be validating and it can be helpful and it can help people realize things that they might not have realized before. But after the fact, it's, we're building from a foundation of zero. We're building from a baseline. So they not only have to like process what they went through, maybe even grieve about it, then we get to the point of like coping and getting to that end of understanding and acceptance. Like if we started with therapy as an early intervention, people would already have their coping skills and realizations of like uh, and processing of trauma that they went through in childhood and processing like who they are as people and things that they need to do in their life to to live a you know, a better, more thriving, uh, helpful lifestyle to help them be the best versions of themselves. But like once we're just like doing it after something bad happened, like it's, that's hard. We're building from zero. We're building from zero. And our, we, we, nobody teaches in this world how to communicate, how to set boundaries, you know, how to show love for yourself, how to work through emotions. Hell, we don't even let preschoolers feel emotions. We're always like, oh, you're angry. Stop being angry. Stop crying. Stop this. Stop that. Like we believe that the only emotion that is good in this world is happiness. And for some reason we have this idea that happiness is supposed to be something that we feel 24 seven. And if we don't, we're broken. That's not how it works. But we have all of these like fucked up beliefs about like (laughs) 
thoughts and emotions and feelings on top of trauma, on top of a lot of people's needs not being met. And then, like, we're just supposed to, like, go to therapy and, like, fix it all. Or, like, they send their kids to me, like, fix it. Like, no, (laughs) that is not how this works. Not at all. And speaking of basic needs, basic needs not being met does not equal therapy or counseling as a solution to that problem. And this is so big with where I work, the area that I work with, with the schools that I work with. So many of my kids are not getting their basic needs met, which is food, water, shelter, clothing. And then on top of that, they're not getting their emotional needs met. They don't have a good support system at home. Things are really rocky. There's abuse. They've witnessed things. They've gone through a lot of trauma. Their ACE scores, like I I can't even imagine what the ACE scores would be if I did them on all my kids. Super, super high. And ACE scores are, stands for adverse childhood experiences for those of you that don't know. And it's a scale that uh, can measure uh, traumatic experiences. And that study around ACEs uh, just talks about how the higher your ACE score, the more health issues you have. But if you don't have money and you're in a low socioeconomic status and you don't have money to help your health issues, then it's just like a never ending cycle of like a lot of problems. And I think a lot of people think, especially working in this district of people who are wealthy and have resources, they think like, oh, give it to the social worker. And like, that's gonna, that's gonna fix things. It's not, I can sit there and I can work with the kid and I can help them process and I can validate their emotions and, and all of that. But that is just such a small portion of, of a lot that they need. And yes, that one little thing could be like, could could mean so much to the student. Yeah. But that does not mean we get to ignore all of these other things that we're going, that they're going through and just be like, oh, their situation is what it is. Like, no, that is not how this works at all. That's why it is kind of cool sometimes being a school social worker, because we do look at families as a whole and we're like, okay, you need clothing, you need food, you need help with transportation, you need help with immigration. You need help with insurance. You need help getting your social security numbers. You need help with housing. There's there's so many things that we do in school social work that's not just the counseling portion of things, which is nice because that counseling portion is is really just like helping the child and the family cope with the situation that they're in. And but really not we there's those are problems that we can't really solve or fix their situation if that makes sense and that's what i'm learning a lot about in supervision is like when you get a client what is their solvable problem which sucks because i wish that i could just wave a magic wand and all of these things were were fixed for for people but a lot of people think like i give out a lot of mental health referrals and a big part of me is like yeah, that's great. But at the same time, we're really just helping these kids survive in the environment that they're in. And sometimes that's all that you can do because it would be too much to tap into the deep stuff because they're just trying to get through get through the day, honestly. Next, another thing that I would like to point out is experiencing violence in the community or individually 
does not equal therapy as a solution. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a therapist. I believe in therapy. It can be super helpful. But again, like, I just, I work in an environment where we do a lot of crisis work. And there's a lot of violence in our community. There's a lot of violence in our schools. There's a lot of violence in the in the kids' home life. And it's just, I don't know. It just always seems like they're sending it to me like, oh, counseling, you know? And it's like, ah, oh, like, yes, counseling. I'm like teaching them to cope. But it's like there's a macro mezzo issue here that we should also be addressing. And I saw a post uh, today that said social workers don't uh, don't neglect your macro when you're doing your micro, and I 100% agreed with that because there's no way that we could just be like, oh yeah, counseling here, here's counseling, you know, to help you process and and deal and cope with the violence, but then like completely ignoring like the violence and like the issue and like what's going on in the community and how to help people as a whole, you know. Oh, it just really upsets me. And the last few points I'm going to make is the problem with the way that people view therapy and what therapy is. It's not Tylenol. Uh, it's not something that you can just take and then it relieves your headache and then you don't take Tylenol again until you have a headache. That's not really what it is and, and how it works uh, at all. But sometimes too, like in my community, in my job, that's all the kids can get. So they, because therapy isn't accessible uh, in a lot of ways, because you need transportation to get therapy, you need money a lot of times to get the get to therapy. Say you're on Medicaid, you have to have the time to take your kids or take yourself to therapy. Where do you have that when you're working like 10 jobs? And then like, again, that's like a meso and macro issue, systems perspective, capitalist BS, where like, these people have like three jobs and like six kids and it's just not sustainable. That's, that's not, you can't, you're not super, you're not a superhuman, right? So a lot of the time, you know, when I see kids throughout the day, they, counseling is like Tylenol because for whatever barrier is, is stopping them from getting mental health counseling outside of school, they just see me throughout the day when they really need to talk to somebody, which when there's 1,400 kids in a school with a lot of the issues that I've been talking about going on, a lot of them need Tylenol, if that makes sense. And they need it all the time because there's a lot of issues that are not going, um, there, there's a lot of issues that are just going untreated or unfixed in the community and within themselves. And that's not help that that's not sustainable for us when there's 1400 kids there's four guidance counselors there's one social worker and one school psychologist and I'm not even and me and the school psychologists are not there we're only there two days a week uh so sometimes their therapy or counseling is used as Tylenol because that's the only way that it can work but in reality like if you're really deciding to commit to therapy it's not Tylenol you really got to sit there do the work do the homework and all that Another thing, uh, the therapist is not your best friend. Uh, they're not. They're a professional. There's boundaries. You know, you can get along with your therapist and you can like your therapist, but this isn't somebody that, you know, you should be going and getting your drinks with or sleeping with or anything like that. Red flags, red flags, red flags, red flags. That's all I got to say about that. Um, 
I don't know if people think that therapy is easy, but it's not. Uh, I don't think it. I don't think it is because you you really start to like tap into things about yourself that you just maybe not before, and you're having a lot of realizations about things that invoke a lot of emotions, which can be emotionally draining. Uh, but also, therapy isn't like it's not hard. It's just, it is, it is what it is. You know, it is what you put in it. It is what you make of it. Just like working out, like starting a spin class, like it is what you make of it. And lastly, therapy is not here to fix people, especially people's behavior, kids' behavior. It's not. I am not somebody who is going to make your kid more compliant uh, or fix their behaviors. Uh, kids, a lot of the time, are just reflections of what's going on at home. Uh, and typically, it's like the family that needs counseling or the parents that needs counseling. So don't send your kid to a therapist if you want them to, quote unquote, be fixed or be more compliant, because uh, I think that's a really terrible mindset to go into it. And therapy, I don't think, is to fix people either. I think therapy is just to help people go on a self-exploration journey. Uh, it's not like, I just hate how people are like, oh yeah, like send them to the therapist as if like, as if a therapy is for everybody or a like therapy is something that everybody wants because it might not be like, there's other things that you can do therapeutically on your journey that would be beneficial, like exercise or gardening or art, you know, anything. At some point, I do think that some people are in a place where they do need professional help. Like they're, they are beyond capable of um, working through the things that they struggle with. I do believe that there are some people at that point. Um, but that's why we should use it as, as a preventative thing. All right, everybody, that's it for today's episode. I appreciate you all for listening. And I will see you in the next one.